Welcome to the All Souls Episcopal Parish in Berkeley's Sermon Podcast. Today is the second Sunday after Pentecost, and we hear from the Reverend Dan Carlson as he preaches from the lectionary, which this week was Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. As always, you can find more information about All Souls or more sermons from All Soulsians on our homepage, which is allsoulsparish.org. Many years ago, when I was in elementary school, I was taught that slavery ended in the United States on January 1st, 1863, when Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Later on, in high school, I was taught that slavery really ended when the Confederates surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse on April 9th, 1865. Today's national holiday, Juneteenth, tells this story a third way. It pegs the decisive moment to June 19, 1865, when the Union Army made it into Texas, the most distant corner of the Confederacy, and proclaimed their full intention to enforce the Emancipation Proclamation. Our nation today celebrates word of liberation finally reaching the last enslaved people in the Confederacy. Yet if we take a step a little further back and look again at American history, things become more complicated still. Enslaved people in the Union states of Kentucky and Delaware weren't freed until the ratification of the 13th Amendment on December 6, 1865. The enslaved people held by the Choctaw in the Indian territories were not actually freed until 1866. Anyone who spends much time studying the Jim Crow South will tend to question just how free African Americans really were in the wake of all these liberations. And so many people today tend to regard the civil rights movement of the mid-20th century as the moment when slavery really ended in this nation. And yet today, in the wake of horrifying murders, like that of George Floyd in 2020, or the racist mass shooting at a Buffalo supermarket just last month, there is a growing recognition that systemic racism, the living legacy of this nation's slaveholding past, is still very much alive and among us. So when did slavery end? When were African Americans finally free? I think, in part, this ambiguity is the point Juneteenth is trying to make. It serves as a kind of counterbalance to our nation's perhaps overly optimistic celebrations of July 4th. Juneteenth wants us to know that the work of liberation is bigger than that. It's ongoing. It's complicated and messy. And the way we tell the story of liberation matters very, very deeply. With that in mind, I want us to take a careful look at today's gospel. As a white guy, as a white guy speaking to a largely white congregation in a largely white denomination, I want to suggest that this gospel story has something very specific to teach us on this Juneteenth. 
I want to suggest that the demoniac, the guy full of demons, he may be the appropriate figure for white Americans to identify with as we search for our story within today's biblical story. To be clear, I am not suggesting that white folks are somehow uniformly evil or wicked, but I am suggesting that white folks in this country have something dark going on down inside of us and that this dark thing needs to come out. And just like in today's story, expelling our demon will not be easy. I want us to come at this by focusing on three critical questions about our text. Number one, what is a demon and why should anyone with a basic understanding of science care about them? <laughs> Number two, why is the demon in our story named Legion? Why not something cool like Baphomet or Pazuzu or for that matter, Steve? Three, what is the deal with those poor pigs? So, question number one, what is a demon? Today's gospel reading features a man full of demons and the exorcism of those demons. The gospels feature quite a few exorcism stories. Well, actually, in truth, John doesn't have any, but the other three totally take up the slack and are chock full of exorcism stories. For modern folks, these can be awkward texts. We often read them and say, what am I supposed to do with that? Some blend of folklore, horror movies, and campfire stories have trained us to think of demons as invisible boogeymen, monsters to scare children, but something that a thinking adult surely should outgrow. Of course, for a certain value of demon, that is more or less correct. 2,000 years have passed between us and the authors of the Gospels. We understand the world differently from them. An example. In the ancient world, demons were often linked with disease. Today, we have a better handle on the biology and psychology of disease, so we tend to reach for antibiotics before exorcism when someone falls ill. <laughs> Yet demons in the Bible are much more complicated than this. While the ancients could at times have a fairly literal and anthropomorphized view of demons, they could also be incredibly nuanced in the way that they used this language. Demons were a kind of catch-all category for the dark, immaterial forces at work in the world around us, which drive us away from the will of God. To use a modern example, we could talk about a corporation or a government which wreaks destruction on the earth and vulnerable populations. And then we could watch over the years as the individuals in charge of that institution come and go but the institution keeps on doing more or less the same terrible things. There is something about the essence of that institution which drives people to continue acting in a certain way. In biblical language, we could call that power a demon. The trick is to notice that demons are symbolic in the Bible. And to say a thing is symbolic doesn't mean that it's untrue. It just means that it points beyond itself to some other deeper truth. We need to be curious about the truth demons are pointing to. In the long arc of the biblical narrative, the very oldest texts tend to portray the world as divided between good people and bad people. There's a sense that the bad people need to be defeated so that the good people can do God's will. 
That understanding gradually shifts over the centuries depicted in the Bible, and demons eventually become a way of talking about evil without identifying that evil as the essence of a person. When demons come into the story, so does the idea that human beings can be delivered from the evil which drives them to do wicked things. By the time we get to New Testament texts like today's gospel, the story of the Bible has shifted from a tale of liberating the land from evil people to the story of the kingdom of God liberating people from the evil that has gotten inside of them. Jesus is waging a kind of liberating campaign to free folks from the powers which drive them away from the will of God. People like the dude full of demons in our story. Or people like us. To be clear before we move on, to take demons seriously does not mean putting responsibility for evil onto the invisible man. It is not about thinking there is a literal monster in the room causing the bad things to happen. Some figure who would look like Skeletor from the He-Man cartoons if only we could see him. That kind of literalism is completely missing the point of the symbol. Demons point us to the reality of invisible forces at work in our world. Things we can't precisely measure or put under a microscope. Some unholy systemic and spiritual blend of politics, economics, indifference, and intergenerational trauma. That is the demonic. I think we could argue that systemic racism in the United States constitutes such a demon. Question two, why is the demon named Legion? With this in mind, it becomes important to notice that the demon or demons in our story are named Legion. A legion was the basic military unit of Roman power, somewhere between 10 and 12,000 troops total. Today's story is set in the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus has traveled beyond the boundaries of his Jewish homeland, and he's now in a foreign district which serves as a significant center for Roman military rule. Gerasa had its own procurator, its own imperial cult, and its own sizable military garrison. It's also important to note that Luke most right, likely wrote this gospel text in the immediate aftermath of a major Jewish uprising against Rome, a war which resulted in the destruction of Jerusalem and the devastation of much of the Jewish population. Luke's original readers of this story were intimately familiar with the brutal work of Rome and its legions. Imagine if this story were set at the present moment in the Ukraine, and imagine that the demons in that story said that their name was Spetsnaz, the name of Russian special forces. Nobody reading that story could possibly miss the political overtones. Clearly, the invading military forces and their brutality are somehow linked to what is happening in this man. Rome promised safety and security. It promised economic prosperity and it demanded submission to its values. In this guy full of demons, we see a symbol of what Roman rule did to people. The guy is in some sense stronger, we're told that he can break chains apparently, but he has also lost his humanity. He is not in control of his own life. He lives among the tombs in a kind of living death. That is the work of Legion. 
When Jesus casts the demons out of this guy, he is also casting out a symbol of imperial power, human exploitation, and colonization. This would not have been a subtle point for Luke's earliest readers. Seeing this link between the political and the demonic, we can begin to consider what is our modern American equivalent? What system has gotten inside of us? What is making us feel stronger while isolating and dehumanizing us? Notice that the possessed guy in our story is so deeply under the power of his demons that he equates being delivered from them with torture. Compare that to the anxiety of many white Americans on this Juneteenth who feel that the full recognition of the legacy of racism in our country would simply be too divisive, too painful to bear. What have you to do with us, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? We beg you, don't torture us. Don't make us change. Question three, what's the deal with those poor pigs? It's hard not to feel bad for the pigs in this story. The demons go into them and they drown. It's interesting to note that whatever is happening in that part of the story, it seems to reflect an attempt by Jesus to actually be merciful to the demons, to give them a place to go where they won't harm anyone. Talk about loving your enemy. Yet it seems that it's judgment day for Legion and there is no preventing his destruction. Ancient folks did not give a particularly large amount of thought to the interior lives of animals, so they were probably not bothered by their fate in the same way we are. To them, livestock were more like living currency, objects of value rather than living beings. What Luke wants us to notice is what comes next, that the people of the region are more concerned with the economic loss of the pigs than they are with the restoration of the possessed man. You can cast the legion out and still not have solved the deeper problem, which is the empire's values. The folk of this region in our story actually asked Jesus to leave. No more liberating of the oppressed, please, Jesus. It costs too much. It's here that this story lands with particular relevance on Juneteenth. For white Americans like me, there can be no doubt that we have benefited tremendously from the demon of systemic racism, which has been at work in this country from its founding. Centuries of economic exploitation of African Americans have made this nation rich and powerful. And that demon continues its work in us, not usually through overt fire-breathing bigotry, but more often through the thousand subtle ways that we subconsciously give attention and preference to those who look most like ourselves. Or the way that we feel minimal urgency to change our broken systems when it is not primarily people who look like us who are suffering. Or our contentment with keeping our institutions, including our churches, firmly tethered to European cultural preferences. To face this demon, to see it finally cast into the abyss, there will be a cost, and it will be more than a herd of pigs. White Americans will need to lose a great deal of privilege. We will need to change long-standing systems in ways that feel both uncomfortable and unfamiliar. 
And like the guy in our gospel, we are also called upon to spread a new story. Like the story of Juneteenth, word of liberation needs to spread. Notice at the end of our tale, this guy who has been delivered from Legion wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus sends him back to his own people to tell the story of his liberation. This guy who has been acted upon by others throughout this story, the demons, the garrisons, even Jesus, he is finally given agency over his own life. He is no longer meant simply to follow others, but to tell his people the story that only he can tell. For white folks like me, for white Christians like me, there is a parallel. It is not enough for us to do personal, private work so we can privately certify ourselves as sufficiently not racist. We need to go back to our people, to our families, to the white cultural spaces in this nation, and we need to spread the word. The demon in our culture will not be cast out at the individual level. We need to think much, much bigger. My suggestion for white folks, let's make Juneteenth into something more than a feast day for the church. African Americans have much to celebrate on Juneteenth, but I think there is a danger in white folks simply joining in that celebration. We may end up shifting the imaginary moment of real American liberation from July 4th to June 19th, and once again ignore the work which remains to be done. For those of us with the most privilege, we need something stronger than celebration to hold us accountable and to move us forward. We need Juneteenth to be a national day of exorcism.